We're actually going to start in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, um, and then we'll proceed from there. Um, so I uh, have been talking for the last few weeks about the trials of Jesus and Paul in Luke and Acts, and the way that uh, Luke is implicitly inviting us to compare the trials um, and the, the responses that both uh, Jesus and Paul give uh, during their trials to the Roman authorities and, and the Jewish authorities. And so last, last week we covered uh, Christ's trial before Pontius Pilate and before the Sanhedrin, uh, and we saw that his response was mostly silence, right? He, he mostly did not say anything. Um, he, he answered a couple of times when they asked him, uh, Pontius Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he said, well, the, well, that's what you say, uh, which is, is a way of saying, well, I don't know, what do you think? Um, and he did the same thing to the Sanhedrin when they asked him, are you the son of God? And he gave some other cryptic answers, but mostly he just remained silent. Uh, and we kind of pondered a little bit last week, well, what, what's that mean um, as a, a, a strategy? Why is Christ doing that? And we, we came up with a few different ideas. One of them is that Luke is inviting us to, to see what um, scholars would call, I'm going to use a big word, I'm sorry, um, scholars would call it an ontological difference, right? He is, uh, ont- ontology means being or existence, right? Christ is just different in terms of his being and his existence than the system by which he's being tried. Right? It, it, they're incompatible with one another. I, I said last week it's like throwing a, a PlayStation game into an Xbox uh, or trying to fit a, 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 you know, trying to fit like a Mac software onto a, a PC. It, it will know that something's there, but it won't do anything with it. Um, in the same way, like the, the um, Christ trying to interface with the systems of the world is basically like two incompatible systems trying to interact with one another. And so Christ, uh, being a smart guy, um, the smartest, uh, and being, uh, having a date with destiny on Golgotha, right? He, he just refused to engage. He, he, he did not acknowledge uh, or reference the, the power of the authorities over him. Like he just said, I'm not, I'm not from the same world that you are. We, I might as well be from a different planet is essentially what was being communicated. So I would say that Christ was external, right, to the Roman system and even the Jewish system in many ways. Um, and that, that uh, externality or that, that his being outside of the system uh, is part and parcel of who he is, um, and it's communicated all throughout the way that he talks to the Roman and, and, and Jewish authorities. We're going to see something with Paul this week uh, and I think this is the point of the comparison that Luke is making um, that is, is transformative. Because gonna, we're going to read some verses from Paul here that are really neat. They're, they're Paul's own words to the church in Corinth. Uh, and then we're going to look back in Acts and see, uh, yeah, pa- Paul, is, Paul describes himself to the Corinthians. And you're going to see, yeah, yeah, Paul is exactly that way. He, he, is, exactly what, he is exactly what he says he is. Um, so... Uh, and then the, the, so that's our recap. The second part that I want to talk about, just a reminder about Roman trials and practice. We talked a lot last week about how the American legal system, uh, we expect often uh, for there to be very clear, like if somebody brings you in uh, and if somebody sues you, 
uh, they, have to, they have to state clearly what you have done wrong to them um, in a format that the court recognizes, right? So you, I, I can't just say, well, as I tell my, my, my clients, as I tell my clients often, anybody can sue anybody at any time for anything, uh, but that doesn't mean you're going to win. In order to win, right, you have to state a case, and the case has to be about something that is illegal. So uh, David looks at me incorrectly. Uh, he looks at me disrespectfully, as he often does while I'm teaching. I can't just sue him, because being, disrespect yeah, uh, being disrespectful is not illegal. Um, now, if David started throwing things at me, uh, right, suddenly that becomes an assault and battery, and I can sue David, especially if he injures me. So it, it is illegal in the sense that you can't do it uh, without being subject to liability to me. Does that make sense? A anyway, uh, and then Bill rightfully points out, um, see how I did that? Uh, that, that there are, uh, there's a whole other realm of, of things that we call crimes, right? Which is when you do something illegal that the state can jail you for, but it still has to be something clear, right? It has to be a clearly articulated crime that the state can then prosecute you for. Um, the Roman system is much broader than that, right? We, we learned last week that the Roman provincial governor uh, has a ton of power to decide whether something is illegal or legal. Um, and you, as a, 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 if you're a, and only a very few things are illegal in the criminal sense, uh, as Bill just pointed out, um, and they're mostly like crimes against the state. So most things that are brought before the magistrate are brought, or before the governor are brought by private citizens who say things like, David was rabble-rousing and trying to get people to rebel against the government. And I would say that because that, that's more likely to get the governor's attention, and he's more likely to say, well, we ought to hang that guy, uh, or whatever. Um, as a litigant in a Roman court, you went before the, the governor and you tried to state a case about why you had been harmed or why the state was harmed by the activity that the person did. We saw that in, in Jesus' case, uh, the, the uh, charges that they brought were, he said he was a king, right? And he, he said he was a king, um, and that's bad, right? Because it's going to create all kinds of tension, and Caesar's king. Um, and uh, Pilate asked him his questions, and he said, I don't think he did anything wrong. I think he's innocent. And yet, nonetheless, he had to sentence him to death, or he ended up sentencing him to death, knowing that he did nothing wrong. So let's turn to Paul. Um, the key to Paul uh, is in 1 Corinthians 9, 19. Uh, so this is Paul summarizing his approach to evangelism, his approach to engaging people with the word of God. And he says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made my servant unto, myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. 
Paul's strategy for evangelism is to be the, the consummate insider, right? Who, whoever he is talking to, and we're going to see this repeated through Acts, whoever he's talking to, he becomes just like them. He, he says, uh, oh, and, and he's positioned to do that. He's positioned to do this because he's a citizen of three worlds. He's a Jew. He's a Greek, right? Because he's a citizen of the city of Tarsus. And he's a Roman. And in every case where he can, he can tell people, hey, I'm a Roman citizen, anywhere it's useful, he's like, hey, did you know I'm a Roman citizen? Any place he appears where he's with the Jews, he's like, you know who, I'm the most Jewish person that ever lived. He said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says repeatedly. Where it's useful to be Greek, he's Greek, right? And we're, we're going to see, that there are actually some funny things in the, uh, the, the verses that we'll read, but I want you to remember that as we go through here. Anywhere Paul goes, Paul immediately uh, and absolutely in the cause of Christ takes on uh, the persona that he needs to take on in front of the people that he's with and makes himself like them. Um, I want to, uh, so let's turn to Acts. Uh, we're going to start with chapter 13, 6 through 12. And we're only going to go uh, into this incident a little bit. Um, and it's because uh, of, a, of a change that happens in Paul here. So Acts 13, 6 through 12. This is the first time, so this is during Paul's first missionary journey. He's traveling with Barnabas, uh, and they go to, uh, they go to the, the, uh, Cyprus, and the, the Roman governor of Cyprus is a man named Sergius Paulus. So up to this point, Paul has been referred to by his Jewish name, Saul. Uh, that, like, at every point in, in the, you know, previously in the book of Acts, he's been called Saul. And, it, and so let's go, and uh, sorry, so he gets there, he's preaching, and there's this guy there, uh, a fellow named Bar-Jesus. Uh, let's go ahead and read six, uh, verse 6. And when they had gone through the isle into Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, or son of Jesus, uh, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, so Bar-Jesus was not his, son of Jesus was not his real name. His name was Elymas. Um, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, Filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Um, I want to just want to point out here, Paul, Paul is never called Saul again, right? He appears in front of this Roman governor, uh, and suddenly there's this shift, right? Suddenly he is using the language, like a, a modern academic would say he's using the language of his, of his colonizers, right? He is, he's a Jew, but he's appearing uh, in front of Roman authorities and using a Roman name. Uh, so suddenly he... he uh, takes on this this new persona or this new uh, identity uh, as a Roman. Let's go to chapter 21, verse uh, 31. 
we're going to dive right into the, the uh, there are three trials uh, at the end of um, at the end of Acts, just as there were, there were three trials for Jesus. And if we, we turn to chapter 21, uh, 31 to 40, we'll see uh, the, like the time when he's seized and arrested and for, first comes into contact with the Roman authorities uh, in Jerusalem. Now, um, Paul, uh, it, those of you who have read Acts um, and Paul's letters, you know that he is... Uh, he is apt to raise a ruckus when he gets into a place. He, he's, he's aiming to misbehave. Uh, and he gets into Jerusalem and he does uh, all kinds of stuff to annoy the, the Jewish authorities by bringing Gentile converts into the temple. Um, he's, he's preaching about his life and his testimony. He's preaching uh, the word of Jesus Christ uh, in Jerusalem. And this gets a, a lot of people upset and there's rioting. Um, in verse 31, it says, And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Uh, the chief captain of the band, I don't know if we're going to see his name in here, but it's given later. His name is uh, Claudius Lysias. Um, he, is the, uh, he is a tribune, uh, which is uh, a commander of a thousand men. So a, a centurion is a commander of a hundred men. Um, and a, uh, a, a tribune commands a thousand. Um, so he's, he's a pretty big deal. There are only 5,000 men in a legion. So he's, he's one of the top five officers uh, in the 14th legion. Uh, but he, he gets upset, uh, or he, he hears word uh, about what's happening. Uh, and in verse 32, he immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they, they stopped beating Paul. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. So his, his first reaction is, they're beating this guy up. I'm going to arrest him immediately and put him in chains, which he does. Uh, and some cried one thing, some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. And when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people. So they carried him up the stairs. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying, Away with him! And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Uh, and the captain said, Wait, you can speak Greek? Or canst thou speak Greek? He's, and he said uh, in verse 38, Art not thou that Egyptian, which before these days madest an uproar and led us out into the wilderness, 4,000 men that were murdered? So he's like, Aren't you the Egyptian terrorist who's been... Uh, camping out in the wilderness and killing people. And Paul's like, no, uh, I'm not an Egyptian terrorist. He says, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. Uh, and we're not going to read uh, much of, of chapter 22. Basically, uh, uh, Lysias says, yeah, go ahead and address the crowd, I, I guess. Uh, and Paul talks to them and starts giving his testimony, and they get super angry again. Like, they were angry before, and now they're angry again. Uh, and if we go to chapter 22, verse 26, uh, it says, when the, uh, and, sorry, uh, verse tw let's go to verse 25, because um, he gets, uh, let's go to verse 24, I'm sorry. So he gets done speaking, uh, and they're not uh, excited uh, about what he has to say says, the, the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging. 
that he might know whereof they cried so against him. So he, he doesn't, un, the captain can't tell what the problem is. So he's like, well, let's bring this guy back to the, the, the garrison and we'll, we'll just whip the truth out of him. Like that's, that's their method of interrogation is just to scourge him until he tells them what, what they want to hear. Um, verse 25, and as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the, the centurion that stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? Uh, and so this is a good place to pause and tell you that Roman citizens had certain rights. Uh, citizenship in, in uh, Rome was kind of a fluid concept. It's like, in, in the United States, there are definite rules about who can be a citizen and who cannot, right? Like we have, if you're born here, if you're, one of your parents is a, a, a U.S. citizen, um, if you're a naturalized citizen, like you go through the, there's a course and an exam that you have to take and then you have to abandon your other citizenships uh, in other countries, you can become a citizen in the United States. Uh, in Rome, uh, over its you know, thousand year history, uh, citizenship changed, the character of it changed uh, from time to time and expanded, it contracted. Um, so originally you could only be a citizen if you were born in the city of Rome. So very, a very small, very select subset of people. Um, eventually, uh, they, uh, and th this was uh, one of the things that Caesar was, uh, Julius Caesar was murdered for, was that he expanded who could have citizenship to anybody who served in the army. Um, and there were a lot of foreigners in the army, and so it became a, a, a way of gaining citizenship uh, for people who traditionally couldn't have it. We don't know how Paul got his citizenship. We don't know why he's a citizen. Uh, presumably his, his family were citizens, but we don't know that. Um, but he is a Roman citizen. He tells, every, tells everybody who will listen. Um, and he especially says it here, because a Roman citizen can't be examined by scourging. Um, and that's backed up by secular authorities, um, like uh, the Roman orator Cicero uh, published a, a tract or a... Um, a, there's a speech by him that's preserved called Against Verus. Verus was a, the procurator of Sicily, uh, and he had a bunch of Roman citizens, uh, a bunch of Roman citizens scur uh, tried by scourging, which is an awfully bad way to get tried, uh, and he was um, executed for it. And, and Cicero was the chief prosecutor. Um, we don't know how they proved citizenship. Like some people thought, uh, or some, some historians think, like there's like a leather card or a placard that you would have and carry with you, like an, an ID card. Others think it was up to the city that you, that you lived in or came from to keep the record. Um, it's, just, it's, not, it's not really known how you prove citizenship. The other big right that Roman citizens have that we'll talk about in a moment is that uh, if you are uh, tried by a provincial governor, you can appeal to Caesar. Uh, you can say, I, I don't want to be tried by you. I, I want to be shipped to Rome and tried before the highest authority in the land. So let's continue. Um, so uh, Lysias gets uh, concerned about this. Uh, in verse 26, when the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? And he said, Yea. And the chief captain answered, with a great sum obtained I this freedom. Um, so this freedom is citizenship. He says, I, I bought my citizenship for a lot of money. 
right? That's what, that's what Claude, that's what Lysias tells him. I love Paul's answer because it, it, it goes right back to I'm all things to all men. So he says, uh, and Paul said, but I was born free. I was born a Roman. I'm the most Roman person that ever lived, he says. Um, which is kind of, it's, it's funny, right? Because you read that, 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 uh, that, set, that uh, statement in Corinthians and you're like, well, what's he mean by that? It means whoever he's with, he's the most of what they are, right? Um, then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him. And the chief captain was afraid after he knew that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. On the morrow, because he would have known the certainty uh, wherefore he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So he still doesn't understand what Paul did wrong. And he says, well, let's meet with the Sanhedrin and they can accuse you and we can see what's up. Uh, and then Paul, uh, again, this is, this is funny stuff um, and shows you uh, what an insider Paul was, because when he gets in front of the Sanhedrin, there are two factions. There are the Pharisees, and there are the Sadducees. And I won't get into all the politics and theology behind them, but the Pharisees believe in the resurrection of the dead, and the Sadducees do not. That's, that's the important point here. Um, so let's go ahead and read chapter 23, or the first part of it. It says, in Paul Earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then Paul said unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten to, contrary to the law? And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. So Paul, Paul apologizes for that. Uh, and then it says, But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope and resur re resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Um, so he, right, he, he uses his inside knowledge of, of the, the Jewish system, and he says, You're putting me on trial because I'm a Pharisee, and I believe in the resurrection of the dead. That, that's, that, and that's not why they're trying him. They're trying him because uh, he's, been, he's been teaching about Jesus. Uh, but it, it immediately sets them at one another. Um, and Lysias can't figure, he still can't figure out what's going on. Um, so he decides to send him to Felix. Uh, and Felix is the, the uh, he lives up in Caesarea. He's the governor. Uh, he did not replace Pontius Pilate. He replaced Pontius Pilate's replacement. Uh, so if we go to verse 20, or chapter 24, which we'll read all of, um, and th there's some uh, action in between that we won't read, uh, but basically they form, a, uh, they, they form a conspiracy to kill Paul. 
uh, and then Lysias and Paul are alerted to it, and they, they do some chicanery to uh, make sure that he's not assassinated on the road uh, to Caesarea. It, it is worth reading uh, if we go to 23, verse 20, or chapter 23, verse uh, 25. Uh, Claudius Lysias writes a letter to Felix. He says, uh, Claudius Lysias, in verse 26, unto the most excellent governor, Felix, sendeth greeting. This man was taken of the Jews... And should have been killed of them. Then came I with an army and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. Is that is that is is that true? No, that's not true. He didn't know he was a Roman until after he uh, until after he was going to to, to uh, beat him up. Um. So it just goes to show you the government the government never changes, right? Like people are always. Um, uh, uh, verse 29, uh, I'm sorry, in 28, and when I, I would have known the cause whereof they accused him, I brought him forth into their counsel, whom I perceived to be accused of questions of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or of bonds. And it was told me how that the Jews laid wait for the man, I went straightway to thee and gave commandment to his accusers also to say before thee what they had against him. Farewell. So anyway, that's the, I think that's interesting that his, his letter says, I saved, I saved a Roman citizen, don't I deserve a reward, uh, is the implication. So chapter 24, verse 1. And after five days, uh, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders and went with a certain orator named Tertullus, Tertullus and informed the governor against Paul. So they hired a lawyer uh, and they headed to Caesarea. Um, and when he was called forth, uh, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, seeing that, seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness or great peace, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness, notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldst hear us of thy clemency a few words." For we have, that we have found this man a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes who also hath gone about to profane the temple whom we took and would have judged according to our law. But the chief captain Lysias came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come unto thee by examining of whom uh, thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. So I, I will not get too deeply into it, but this whole speech, um, and then Paul's speech to uh, Festus, which we'll get, we'll get to in a moment, is structured exactly, exactly like a Roman oration. Like, this is exactly what you would do in a court. You would, describe, you would uh, uh, flatter the judge, right? There's, a, there's always a, a beginning where you... you uh, uh, highlight the judge's good qualities and say why he is fit to make a judgment. Second, you state what the, the issue is. You frame up the issue. Second, you present your evidence. Fourth, you, you uh, um, give uh, argument against whatever your opponent has said, and then you conclude. Um, and Paul's speech, especially uh, with Festus, it, it tracks that exactly. It even says that he raised his hand if you go look at statues uh, of Roman uh, or inscriptions of Roman legal proceedings, the person speaking is always going like this, 
right? It, Paul's even assuming the, the posture uh, of a Roman orator, of a Roman lawyer. So uh, let's continue, verse 10. Then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, right? So he's, he's doing the same thing. I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city, neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. So notice his argument. It's that they're accusing me, uh, that they haven't said anything that, that goes to their charges against me. But if what they're really angry about is that I'm, I'm arguing against their religion, I, I'm arguing completely in the line of their religion. I, I'm, I'm arguing for a continuation of what they talk about. I believe in the law. I believe in the prophets. Jesus is a continuation of those things, not, not the denial of them. Um, Verse 15, uh, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. And herein do I exercise myself, to have always a conscience void of offense towards God and towards men. Now after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult, who ought to, he says, "I, I wasn't causing a problem who ought to have been here before thee and object if they had ought against me. So that the, the folks that caused a problem in the temple did not appear to make these charges. Only the Sanhedrin and their, or their uh, lawyer did. Or else let these same here say if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council, except it be for this one voice that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, or Christianity, he deferred them and said, When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, that he should forbid none uh, of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul uh, and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. Uh, When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Um, He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might lose him. So he was expecting or hoping for a bribe. Uh, Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. So uh, notice that the, he issues a stay, which is what cowardly judges do all over the world, uh, and he says, I need to get more evidence. I'm going to have Claudius Lysias come up, and he, I'll find out more about what, what's going on from him. Uh, and then he goes and he talks to them, and, and Paul tells him about Christianity, and he talks about, it says, I, I love the phrase, the coming judgment, because uh, Felix is not... What uh, we know from kind of extra biblical sources, his his waiting around for a bribe from Paul is not like an isolated incident of waiting around for a bribe from a guy. He is uh, extremely corrupt. Um, does anybody know what Felix means? Lucky. It's like, he's like a mafioso, right? Like or, uh, uh, right. He's, his name is Lucky. Um, 
and he's, uh, he is a, uh, a corrupt um, and uh, he's a corrupt leader in a, in a webwork of relationships, uh, kind of like Pilate, where he has to glad hand people and, and make sure that he's stable. He issues a stay. In verse 27, we find out it, it, it's two years later. Two years later, he gets replaced, and Paul's still in jail. Verse 27, but after two years, Porcius Festus came onto Felix's room, or into his office, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. So he, uh, he's replaced by this Festus guy, and he says, I, uh, in order to please the Jews uh, as a favor, I'll, I'll just leave this fellow in jail. But he wasn't bound before. What do you mean? At liberty. He was, well, uh, he's still in jail. He's... It, if, if Paul tried to leave Caesarea, uh, there'd be a problem. He's, he's, um, about, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, he, he, he was like on house arrest, which was a common situation for Paul. We find at the end of, the, uh, of Acts that when he lived in Rome, uh, waiting for Caesar to see him, uh, he was able to receive visitors and, you know. So uh, I would not say it was like being in like a, the, the, the correctional facility, but it, it, uh, he, he did not have liberty to go where he liked. Chapter 25. Um, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit longer. Um, I apologize. I want to make sure I finish this material. Is that okay with everybody? Yes. Okay, thank you. Of course you can. You know, I, uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, it, I mean, it says he was allowed to see his associates or, you know, like people that he knew. So I, I have to imagine that um, especially somebody like Timothy uh, would visit him. Uh, and he had to, um, I, I mean, he was writing letters all throughout this period. So I'm mean, almost certainly like an, uh, a scribe or an amanuensis, somebody who would come in and write and transcribe letters for him. He must have had access to that as well. But I, I don't think it's super clear uh, who, who came to see him. It's a good question. Yeah, yeah. So verse uh, chapter 25, uh, and we'll go through Herod uh, and, or I'm sorry, Festus and Herod Agrippa. Uh, chapter 25. Uh, now when Festa, Festus was come into the province, after three days he ascended from Caesarea uh, to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself would depart shortly thither. So if you want, if you want me to hear about him, you come up to Caesarea and see me with him. I'm not going to send him down here. Uh, Let them therefore, said he, which among you are able, go down with me and accuse this man if there be any wickedness in him. And when he had, and when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down unto Caesarea and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought and when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar, have I offended anything at all. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment, right? He invokes the provocatio, the, the appeal to Caesar. Um, 
I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender, have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto, uh, me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar thou shalt thou go. So, uh, I, we're not going to read the rest of 25. Um, I'll summarize briefly. Uh, we talked last week about how parts are, uh, there are client kings in this area uh, from the, 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 the Herodian family. So all the Herods are related um, and have kind of a line of kings that serves the Romans, but uh, lives uh, in, in this general vicinity. Um, and Herod Agrippa uh, is uh, the king from the Herodian dynasty at this time. And he, he's actually almost a Roman. Uh, he was uh, raised in the palace his name, is, uh, his name is known to history as Marcus Junius Agrippa. Uh, he, so he's very close to the, royal fam- the, the, uh, the, the emperor's family. Uh, he is all but Roman in terms of his orientation and his allegiances. Um, he also, though, knows a lot about the Jewish religion. Um, he's, uh, w- we have a lot of evidence that he spoke up for the Jews in, at various times. So he's not... Uh, all, all these people are evil from our perspective, uh, but he's not, uh, he, he can be what we would call fair-minded, maybe. Uh, and uh, so he visit, he's visiting Caesarea with his sister Bernice, and uh, Festus says, I don't know what to do with this guy who appealed to Caesar. Like, I don't even know what he did. That, I don't know what they're accusing him of or how to phrase it. Um, and he's kind of afraid to send Paul to Caesar without like a letter of explanation that says, yeah, hey boss, this guy was accused of X, Y, and Z here in, in, uh, in Syria, Palestine, Judea, um, and he wants to be tried by you, he's a Roman citizen, uh, but here's what he did, here's what he's accused of. Like he can't even articulate it. And he says to Agrippa, we should have a trial here where he tells you like what, what the deal is. And maybe you can help me formulate what, what he did. Uh, and Agrippa agrees to do that. And, and the trial starts uh, in chapter 26. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand, right? And answered him. Sorry. Uh, and answered for himself. Well, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be expert in all customs, see, uh, and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first uh, among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. And he goes on and he describes his conversion experience, describes the meaning of the gospel. Um, He describes the power of Christ. Uh, And when we get to verse 23, uh, he says, uh, he summarizes and says that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead 
and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. So he testifies, right, to the power and might of Christ's deliverance. In verse 24, And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. Paul, you're crazy. You learn so much, you're crazy. And Paul says, no. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king, Agrippa, knoweth of these things, before him also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. Right? All of this unfolded exactly as it was told in the Old Testament. All of it. From the beginning of time to the present day, he says, all of this is known. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. And the implication being, if you believe the prophets, you have to believe me. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. I think that's the most heartbreaking almost in the whole New Testament. Almost, he says. And Paul said, I would to... This almost brings tears to my eyes when I read it. Paul says, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except without these chains. Right? I wish you believed like I did. And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up and the governor and Bernice and they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside... They talked between themselves, saying, This man doeth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed to Caesar. So, uh, what is, what's the, the purpose of the contrast? What's the purpose in the distinction between the way that Paul deals with the Roman authorities and the way that Jesus did? Paul is set up, right, as, as the consummate insider, I said. What does an insider do? Well, he transforms the system, right? Paul, Paul's job is to get to Caesar, right? That's why he appealed to Caesar. He, he is carrying, uh, he is a, a it's, it's a bad analogy because we've just gone through COVID, but he is like a typhoid Mary carrying the virus of Christianity into the heart of the empire. He's going to blow it up when he gets there and speak the name of Jesus Christ in front of Nero Caesar. That, that's what he wants to do. And, and I, so there's a, a couple things uh, that I want to highlight. One, um, so there's been a lot of writing, uh, a lot of, not speculation, but a lot of study has gone into the idea of, uh, uh, okay, you have this, this tiny religious movement Starts in Jerusalem, uh, in you know, in this the poorest part of the world, uh, in you know, 30 A.D. Uh, and it it comes to dominate Western thinking, right? It out of that small persecuted minority, right? Like all of us are are talking about Christ right now, and that's happening in other churches all over the world. H- how'd that happen? How did they survive? in the shadow of an empire that wanted to kill them, right? Because not everybody can be like Christ. You can't forever say, you have no right to judge me. Um, I, I, I 
have not ever been crucified, but I guarantee I won't be rising again if it happens. Right? And the same is true of all these early Christians. So Christ's response is closed to them. Luke is, is telling them there's another way. Right? There's a way that you, ontologically, as a part of who you are, you, you can both participate in this system and transform it from within. That's your, that's your job now, right? To act like the kingdom is here, but to do it in the presence of these human empires in a way that transforms them. And it's, it's not 400 years from the time that Paul lived to the time that Christianity is adopted as the official religion of the Roman Empire. 400 years isn't very much time in the span of human history. Um, and it's, it's because uh, of people taking part. Paul is like heroized in, in Acts as like, this is somebody you should model. Um, so, I, and I guess the last part I'll get to is application. Like, what's that mean for us? I, I think there are times when human systems are not for us. Like, you just have to say that the system is unjust and oppressive, um, and I have to take Christ's path and be silent uh, and let, let the system punish me to its shame. Um, that, that time may come. Uh, I hope not in our lifetimes, but there are places in the world where that's true, right? Try going to China and, and uh, testifying to people or Saudi Arabia. Um, it will not, it, you won't come back. Um, right? There are places like that where Christians must respond with silence and take the, puni- the unjust punishment that is offered. But for the rest of us, right, we, we can live within the systems that we work, whether those systems are legal or economic or social or military, whatever. Uh, and we have the ability, we have the words of life and the ability to transform them from within. Uh, and I think that's what Luke is getting at when he compares these two types of responses.